Welcome to Sincast, presented by CinemaSins. All right, everybody, welcome to the Sincast. This is Chris Atkinson from CinemaSins, joined as always by the voice of CinemaSins, Jeremy Scott. Hello. And music video sends writer Barrett Cher. Hey. Hey, what's going Hi. on? Hey. Uh, guys, we're going to be talking about 1976 for a yeah. brief moment today. We talked about 1975 in the last podcast, uh, ultimately awarding the best movie of 75 to Jaws. Now, I'm sure there'll be a lot of people out there who will be like, you know, hey, you know, it's really this, it's really that, whatever. But uh, that's what we came up with. Anyway, 1976, we're going to do the same thing. And Jeremy, would you like to take it away? You talking to me? Because you had the talent to become a good fighter. Just follow the money. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. Sure. 76 was a good year. Um, <clears throat> in general, um, I turned one. Uh, started eating <laughs> solid foods. Yeah. Um, and in the world of film, I'm really excited to talk about this because I feel like there's one obvious front runner. And then there's just a bunch of like either high quality movies or culturally impactful movies or cult movies that I think that there's like eight or nine. I think one of you could argue for, and I wouldn't necessarily have a problem with it. Um, but, you know, the elephant in the room is Rocky, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, I don't remember if it won, but it was nominated for an Oscar, right? Yeah, uh, it won Best Picture. Yeah, and uh, Stallone was nominated for writing, right? Yep, yep. Yeah. Okay. And uh, he might have even won, but although I don't know about that. I just know it won Best Picture. Now, this movie is, I think, a combination of quality and cultural impact that makes it, in my opinion, the front runner um, because it almost defined the sports movie for 30 years, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but for the sake of arguing other films from 76, because it is really a pretty good year, uh, we have all the president's men in 1970. Yeah. Yep. yeah. And uh, no one's going to take any flack from me for arguing for that one. Um, and I waited a long time, way too long to see it. I was a lover of film for a good eight or nine years before I got around to it. And I really regretted it because um, it's fantastic. And mm-hmm. I will uh, let one of you guys uh, take over from here. I don't want to name them all. Yeah. Um, you, yeah. You named the, you know, probably the two very best ones there. Then there's taxi driver, which of course mm-hmm. uh, is, yeah. I mean, that's a huge influential film and, yep. and everything. And um, it's such a unique film. I don't know if I've seen anything like it since. Yeah, it's really, it's really distinct. Yeah. Um, and, and it's, uh, and it's, uh, I think there's a lot of stories behind all that. Like Paul Schrader wrote the script and, uh, and he was, I mean, it was just one of those, just like it's, he was, I don't know if he was on anything or whatever, but I think he was sort of experiencing the, the Travis Bickle, uh, life himself kind of when he was writing it or whatever. You know, he's, I think he felt some of that loneliness or whatever. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that stuff came through into the script. Now, I don't know the full story, but I know that something was going on with the, the screenwriting of it. And then, um, but then, you know, De Niro himself, like, actually went and, uh, you know, became a taxi driver for a while yeah. and stuff to prepare for the role <laughs> and everything. And Scorsese was still in his drug-addled years. Yeah, so, but, uh, De Niro was pretty method for a while there, wasn't he? Yeah, he was. Yeah, yeah. He, he he did the method for a really long time, probably... 
into the eighties. And then yeah. I think he started to sort of waver from that after a while. Cause well, I still, think that just he, takes it out of you. Yeah. He's still method for like meet the Fockers. Like he, he's just oh, for sure. around, like as a lazy old man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and Rocky and Bullwinkle, he, he clearly, uh, experienced the life of, uh, totally. Of, yeah. So. Committed to that role. Yeah. He did. Um, but, uh, yeah, taxi drivers up there. And, you know, here's another one I've heard, I hear a lot about this movie and it's, and it's something that, uh, we'll, we'll never see again in movies, but bad news bears, which is a super, you know, super racist, (laughs) like, like foul mouth. It was like, it it was a movie made for kids and, and it's got like just the, it's the worst movie for kids. Uh, but nobody cared, nobody cared back then, uh, you know, about what your kids saw and everything, but you would never be able to, I mean, and they did try to make that movie in 2005, Richard Linkletter directed it. And, uh, yeah, it loses something in the translation when you can't say all the things that you normally would say, you know, as a complete non sequitur, um, I saw Revenge of the Nerds on TV like a few days ago. <laughs> that yeah. movie is just full of criminal behavior. Like <laughs> all the shit they do, like like the Aaron Andrews peeping cameras that they all gather yeah. out and watch. And it's they did. They, I don't think anything they do in that movie is legal. It was and, yeah. It was encouraged back then. Yeah, to exactly. Have it was like look at these guys. They're they're getting free looks at naked girls, aren't they? Awesome. And I'm well, like, and it it started with Animal House and everything, where like you know. He had Belushi looking in through the window with a ladder and everything. And then, then Porky's did it. Porky's. And, and it was sort of, uh, you know, like, yeah, well, uh, it's okay to peep on women. All right. <laughs> so let's, let's have it in every movie. Those boys. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Like Revenge of the Nerds would have to be totally different today. Like yeah. Tried to remake oh, that. yeah, yeah. It would be. It would. It would surround. It would be surrounded by just more nerd culture than. Yeah, usual, it would probably whatever. be like Silicon Valley or something. Yeah, <laughs> um, we've gotten off our 1976 uh, discussion here. Uh, Barrett, do you have a couple? 1976 was a great year for horror. Mm. Uh, between The Omen and Carrie, the two of the most. I mean, you could argue about Carrie, but it's essentially a horror movie. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, two of the most influential horror movies. Certainly in the seventies, and both involving you know underage kids. Yeah, yeah, demon kids, <laughs> demon kids. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, Carrie, talk about something that you probably have never seen before, and you know, besides the ill-advised remake, like you haven't really seen it uh, since. Like that's just kind of a really that's a unique movie too. Yeah. You know? Opening credit sequence full of of live nude girls like you would never see that. Yeah. All this this entire episode is going to be about naked women. Absolutely, absolutely. No one will be surprised. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's about time. Damn it. Yeah. Um, and the omen. The omen was was terrific and very rewatchable. And it may just be because of Gregory Peck. Like, yeah, just, Gregory you know, Peck. Yeah, that is. <laughs> That's uh, th- that's another one that had an ill-advised remake as well. Oh yeah, I'm surprised that all three of us have named two and none of us has talked about Network yet. Yeah, no, holy crap! <laughs> because Network. this, like Rocky and even all the Presidents Men, I think is super high quality, but also it's a cultural kind of touchstone film that a lot of people of that generation point to as gonna, that whole "I'm not going to take it anymore" speech. Um, it was it struck a nerve. 
And it became very predictive of current media culture, right? Yeah, that's, yeah. What I'm, that's what I was about to say is that network uh, sort of predicted what we have become. Uh, it's become totally. uh, it's become where uh, people are more interested in being entertainers than uh, actually giving us the news or anything like that. It's uh, it's when a network is turned on its head by someone who's super popular with their opinions, but they're not giving you actual facts or um, you know anything that uh, is worthwhile in the world or whatever. It's just a spirit and fun and that type of thing. And then later on, broadcast news sort of touched on that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but we'll talk about that in a few podcasts. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> um, anything else that we need? I have a couple, but I want to see if you guys want to bring anything else up. That um, the only other one that I can think of on this, and you and you wrote out a list for us, and that's very kind of you. You're welcome. Um, is Logan's Run? Um, yeah. That's uh, the other ones. Now I haven't seen. I haven't seen A Star Is Born, and I haven't seen. I haven't seen Marathon Man. I'm unfortunately, and I know that's a really good movie. Uh, I have seen the King Kong that came out <laughs> this year. Yeah. It was not very good, but, uh, <laughs> but, uh, Logan's run is a movie that's very, it's, uh, it's another movie that's inspired a lot of other, uh, stuff like the Island and, uh, uh, what's another one that's, uh, kind of done that. But, um, but yeah, the, it's got that, it's that dystopian future, but it's a dystopian future that I like, not like this hunger games insurgent nonsense. Um, but you know they're they're tr- they're sort of people who who are striving to have a better life on the outside. They're promised so much uh, you know goodwill, and once they do these certain things, they'll be able to go out into the world and everything. And then and then uh, then they find out things aren't what they seem. And right. um and uh, Logan's Run is one of those movies. It's and I I mentioned the island, which is basically a remake of that movie. Um, but um, there's a few others that have tried to do that too, and I just can't name them right now. And I think the island is one of Michael Bay's uh, most enjoyable films. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah, it is. Oh yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> uh how how like I mean even and you know you look at the island, uh, there's still a lot of that michael bayness in it um but uh but it's it's got a better story than anything that he's ever done before yeah well and he's got two leads that mostly because of their characters situations uh, that end up with really engaging performances i think um anyway um i almost i almost made my uh dark horse choice the outlaw josie wales Mm, Mm. um it's one of the Eastwood Westerns that I feel like I don't hear a lot of people talk about, mm-hmm. um, but I love it. Um, it's just really engaging. And a lot of movies have tried to do the sort of revenge arc that this movie does almost perfectly. Um, but it's just fringe enough. I, I don't think I can make that my final vote, but I, I do. I did want to mention it. Especially with all these heavyweights here, they're just—I mean, it's—it's it's crazy, like how good this year is. Barrett, anything else you? Yeah, if you want a dark horse. And speaking of racism, did you ever see a, <laughs> a movie called Murder by Death? No, uh, I never saw that. It's a Neil Simon play or Neil Simon script. Uh, that's got—it's a murder mystery, um, a comedic murder mystery. It almost reminds me of Clue, except you know a little bit uh, earlier, mm-hmm. uh, which I think we all love. But uh, it has like Peter Falk and Peter Sellers and um, Maggie Smith. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. And uh, a few other uh, Alec Guinness, uh, yeah. Obi-Wan himself. 
And it's 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 really, really funny. Peter Falk is kind of like doing slapstick. Truman Capote is in this, by the way. Oh, he's wow. The, wow. Uh, he's the main uh, the guy that gets them together for this an investigation. He invites a lot of private eyes over and everything. And I only I saw it a lot when I was a kid and found it very, very enjoyable. And uh, it's a good like kind of far slapstick comedy murder mystery. Uh, so that's a good dark horse from 76. You know, if there's anything that's going to come out of this is that I'm going to have to go watch Outlaw Josie Wales and uh, and Murdered Murder by, by Death, death by, <laughs> by after this. I'm going to have to find a way to watch those. So um, uh, I, I've learned something new today. Are we ready to vote? Are we ready to cast our, our lots? I have you? mine locked in. All right. So do you want to go first then? No. Well, I guess. Yeah, sure. Why not? Well, I went um, last last time and... I'm, ended up being a deciding vote so we should maybe switch up who goes last each time okay so somebody besides me go last okay Barry, why you don't you go, go last i'll go, go first You'll, okay go there's a you guys ever use this app called flip chart yeah oh yeah yeah, yeah. you rate movies back and forth and it's two at a time and you have to select which one you like better yeah i did this a long time ago when it first started and uh apparently like it eventually gets to your number one over a series of hundreds of selection and Rocky was my favorite above virtually anything else, <laughs> uh, which which surprised me, actually. But I love this movie so much. And even though there's a lot of strong competition, I don't know how you could go anywhere but Rocky. Man, I used that website for a good couple of months. Um, and that's how I figured out The Matrix was my favorite movie. The same kind of thing <laughs> you're talking about, where I just it, I never let another movie beat it in a battle. And I was like, oh, I must really adore this movie. Um, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, Chris is going last and we just robbed him of his chance to be the deciding vote because I'm going Rocky. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. That's um, totally fine. I was locked in um, before I even listed any of the other movies from that year. Uh, that's at the top of the list. And I went, oh, that's going to win. And then I listed out a bunch of other good movies. And I love all the president's men. I almost went for network, but it's got to be Rocky. You know, I, and it wouldn't have mattered anyway. I'm not going to say Rocky, but I would like to say about Rocky is that it you can see the evolution or devolution of movies through the Rocky sequels. Um, <laughs> like the first Rocky is amazing. It's obviously made in the 70s where they cared about character development and yeah. and uh, all that. And, and, and somehow they keep it entertaining way before the fight even happens. Whereas, you know, when it gets down to Rocky four, which of course is everybody's favorite cult bad movie, really. Um, it's, uh, you know, it, it, you're not, they know that you just want to see the fight. So it's like a bunch of montages and, and, yeah. you know, 80 songs and all that other stuff. And when, you know, you're in between, there you got Rocky two and three, which are which are you know they're decent movies or whatever. But you're getting in. You know, I think Rocky two was right at the end. It was in 1979. I think that came out. Um, and uh, and then Rocky three is obviously 80s. You know because you got Mr. T and and all uh, yeah all this stuff. It just doesn't make any sense. But but it's funny because you know once you get to Rocky four, you're like, this, how did this? How did that first movie? How did they get this from that first movie? You know? Yeah, it's as shocking as the Rambo evolution. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but uh, guys, the movie I've seen the most out of this group is All the President's Men, and it's my favorite one. Uh, it's the I, I just 
I love how this movie develops and shows you how Woodward and Bernstein go through their investigation and how hard it is and how you can, you can feel their frustration, but you can feel their elation every time that they finally get somebody to talk. Yeah. And, um, that it, it's in this sort of genre of movies that, uh, you know, I, I, I group quiz show into this because quiz shows sort of the same way. Rob Morrow's little, uh, his character goes through and, and tries to find somebody who will speak on the record and everything. And nobody yeah. wants to talk <laughs> for whatever reason. Uh, it, once you get to, you know, all the little tricks and all that, that they use to get people to talk and everything. And, and then, you know, you talk about culturally significant and everything, you know, this is, I think this is when we first, I think people first really started distrusting the government more than, more than they ever thought that they would, uh, with, you know, with this, with the book and of course, Watergate first, but then the movie itself just showed you how, you know, if you weren't familiar with the entire story, um, you, you realized, you know, oh, government can be kind of bad guys. It can be kind of dick sometimes. <laughs> um, yeah. so, uh, I've seen all the president's men probably at least 15 to 20 times. So I, I'm, I'm going to vote that, but Rocky will win. All right. Well, uh, ding, ding. I think that was a good, uh, high quality, uh, discussion there. And, uh, so now we've just elected Jaws and Rocky. That's the two <laughs> best films of the first two be no years rematch. that I was alive. That's right, and and you know, and then and you know, the, I think your your critical selections would be more in line of like One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest and Taxi Driver, or uh, you know, that would probably be the the real uh, ones with critics. But for us, we're 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 leaning a little bit more populist on. Them. Well, you know that that's how we do. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Um, anyway, uh, so, so Rocky, the winner. Um, okay. So now we're going to get into the meat of our discussion. Uh, we are going to talk about good moments from bad movies and bad moments from good movies. Uh, I believe this was asked as a question to us on Twitter at one point I think or so. in some form it has or whatever. Um, but, uh, Jeremy, do you want to take it away and start with whatever? Let's uh let's start um on a down note and and rip on some bad moments in movies that are good. All right. And then we'll finish. Um I'm most curious to hear everybody's good moments from bad movies. But <clears throat> we'll yeah. start with the reverse. And uh, it's funny that you just talked about Quiz Show because the first one on my list, bad moments in good movies, I wrote Rob Morrow's accent in Quiz Show. <laughs> yeah, which is what me people could not get over when this movie came out. And I am able to get over it. I love this movie. I love everyone in it. I even love his performance. I just don't like that accent. And for whatever reason, maybe because I'm not like, I don't really have a strong accent. I'm not from, is he doing a New York or a It's Boston? a Boston, Boston, but it's so, it's so like stereotypical Boston. Like yeah. it's, it's what a kid would, would emulate if they first heard a, you know, a Patriots fan talking or something. So I'm not offended by that because I'm not from there, but, um, but it is, it is maybe one of the worst things about a movie that I think is top notch. Yeah, I, but I will say, uh, and and you're right. This this accent is is not good. But there's a point in the movie where Morrow confronts Ray Fiennes, and it's one of the best scenes of the movie too. Mm -hmm. But but I always love I love his accent for whatever reason. I don't know if it's because the delivery is just just that you know has that 
you know, I don't know, a little flourish on it or whatever. But I just love when he's like, hey, don't treat me like I'm some member of your goddamn fan club. You can tell me that everything I got, I got the answers, but you, you know, and, and I just I just love the way he says it in that. But uh, but yeah, it's it's not good. It's one of those where, you know, I mean, yeah, if there was one thing we could just t- tone down a bit. That'd well, be, and you that'd can be even hear a little bit of Ray Fine's non-English creep in and some of his delivery. Um, yeah. And I don't care because I just, I love, there's so many powerful one-on-one scenes like you just described and like the one where he has with his dad in the classroom where he confesses. And yeah. Just really good acting and a really interesting story. And um, anyway, somebody else take it away. Give me a bad moment from a good movie. Barrett, you want to take one? As bad moments from good movies go, this is absolutely first on my list. And nobody is a bigger fan, except for maybe the two of you, of A Few Good Men than me. Uh. But there's a moment in that movie where Demi Moore and Kevin Pollack are having a moment in the courtroom after they get done with the preliminary hearing or something like that. And uh, Demi Moore asks Kevin Pollack, why do you hate them so much, the two Marines that they are uh, defending? And he says, they beat up on a weaker kid. You know, that's uh, you can hide behind all this Marine bullshit, but basically that's what it is. They beat up on a younger, <laughs> weaker kid. And then he, he asked Demi Moore, he's like, why do you like them so much? And she has this ridiculous speech, uh, almost prepared. She says, because they stand on a wall. And they said, nothing's going to hurt you tonight. Not on my watch. And I'm like, God damn it, woman. What the fuck was that? It's awful. It's yeah. awful. Yeah. And otherwise a brilliant movie, but God, I hate that. I hate that line. You, you can feel Aaron Sorkin yelling in your ear on the, on that one right there. Uh, you know, it's funny you bring up a few good men and I'm just as an aside, because there is one moment that I, I'm, you know, this is one moment in the movie that I don't like at all. And this is after all the amazingness between Cruz and Nicholson and everything is when he's like, and you're going to jail, you son of a bitch. And, uh, and I've never liked that. You know, it's like we, we, we you know, you, you won. Yeah. You didn't need to say that, you know, uh, you had your moment, but now you have to do that crowd pleasing son of a bitch moment, you know? So that's the one thing I, I didn't like about it, but I never really thought about that. <laughs> that Kevin Pollack, Debbie Morrissey. Now, now when I watch it, I'm going to be like, yep, yep, he's right. Oh, um, man. Chris? You know, okay. Oh, all right. So I have, uh, I don't know where to start. Um, okay. <laughs> this so, is a fun topic. So I love, I love The Natural. Uh, it's a, it's a movie that I, you know, that's another movie I've seen millions and millions of times or whatever. Um, uh, but there's a scene that is both awesome and horrible at the same time. And it's mi- really just a movie mistake. But once you, once you realize it's a movie mistake, it sort of drains the power out of it a little bit. Uh, there's a, there's, I don't know how familiar are you guys with this movie? Um, oh man. I wrote a rap about it in middle school with my best friend. <laughs> there you go. I watched um, it probably 12 or 13 times. Yeah. Uh, this was like in my era when our family got HBO and the natural and never ending story used to always play yeah. uh, over and over again. And like, that's where I watched those movies all the time. Um, but the natural has, a, and I didn't think about it then. And I probably didn't think about it for many, many years after that. But there's a scene, you know, it's towards the end of Roy Hobbs dating Memo Paris, who's played by Kim Basinger. 
Uh, he they go to Chicago. He's struggling. He stri- he struck out like a couple of times. And uh, then, you know, Glenn Close, his old girlfriend, uh, stands up in the stands and, and Roy sees it and he's like, all right, you know, so he hits he hits this ball, uh, you know, into the Wrigley Field clock or whatever. Big, huge, dramatic moment. You know, wow, he he hit this hit this ball on the clock and he won the game. You know, he runs around. And there's like all these photographers and everything taking his picture at the end. He's, he's finally out of his slump, you know, but that can't possibly happen if you're the visiting team <laughs> yeah <laughs> you can't win the game on one swing of the bat. <laughs> and it just bothers you after a while you're just like like yeah that's amazing but it wouldn't have ended the game <laughs> yeah game's not over like i i i would have loved i mean it would be great to have like somehow go back and be able to make that scene and like you see the cubs players and they're like like nice hit hot shot we get we get the we get the bottom of the ninth now dickhead you know jesus I've never even thought of that. Yeah. Oh, I should do a whole new verse to my rap about that. <laughs> I, I'll tell you what, man. I used to have this movie on VHS, and I and I and that scene, I you know, with Randy Newman's score and all that other type of stuff going on in it, I I rewound it and watched it a hundred times. I love the anticipation of it. I love everything, the dramatic tension. And then he hits that ball and you're like, yeah, awesome. He hit, he's bad. He's out of his slump and everything. But yeah, man, uh, later on in life, you're like, ah, Jesus, he's, he's the visiting player. There's no way that could be the winning game, winning Homer. There's actually a weird rule at Wrigley that if he hit the clock, the game's over. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, we can't possibly go on with this game. Now the clock's what is a movie all about baseball. Miss right. That. Right. Well, in oh the very God. next day, and this is another thing. This is if you're like really love baseball and you pay attention to it or whatever, the next day he hits four home runs in a game and almost you know, that, that it shows him in one swing hitting a ball. Uh, so like w- it's a slow motion swing that would make Zack Snyder proud. And <laughs> like he hits the ball and like during that slow motion, you hear four different calls of home runs he's hit. And that last one he hits is clearly a pop up. Like it's like it would have gone in the infield or whatever, but it's being considered a home run. Um, but so anyway, love that movie. But there are those things where you're like, one day we'll have to send that movie. All right. So my turn. Um, I'm going to go with the from Snowpiercer uh, mm, mm. movie that I love that is now on one of these movie channels on my cable that I've been watching a lot lately in the background. Um, but the I know how baby tastes scene. <laughs> now, there are a number of moments in this movie where I will forgive a moviegoer from just kind of going, what? What's going on right now? I, I can even forgive somebody not liking the movie because of a couple of those moments, but this is the kicker for me. This is the one I literally just stop watching when the scene comes on. Um, I get what they're going for, but it's just, it's the com, it's the juxtaposition of this really heartfelt emotion on his face and the literal words, I know how baby tastes. And <laughs> I just can't reconcile them because one, is serious and one is clearly a joke. Um, it's just, 
it, I don't know. I don't know. It just chugs the whole movie to a halt for me. I don't know how That's you guys feel. That's the middle of an interminable speech, too, at the very end of the thing. And you're like, really? We can spend eight minutes here just sitting here, like, <laughs> yeah. pontificating about how baby tastes? Well, and that's where that's where Snowpiercer actually starts to fall down the cliff is after that scene. Because even when Ed Harris shows up, and I love Ed Harris, um, that scene just takes forever. That, that, <laughs> oh, it's yeah. just so long. And, and that was the one moment. I remember watching it in the theater, and, and I was kind of squirming a bit because it just it just lasts so long. But the you know the thing I think the thing that you're probably tapping into with that I know how baby tastes thing is that it's there's no subtlety to it you know and I guess there's I guess there's you have two rules of thumb on that like how can eating babies be subtle um, but um, but you could have I think you could have made that a little bit you know. I, where you, where at least you imply it more than you just go right out and say it. Right. No joke. It's so it's so distasteful. Not no pun intended. Just have him trail off. I know what. I know the taste of. Boom, yeah, you're done. yeah, that's it. That's <clears> well, that is not a subtle movie in any way, really. No, it's not. No, uh, especially it's, the it's thing and a bad thing for it. Well, especially the uh, Allison Pill <laughs> classroom scene is probably like the most in your face yeah. thing that I they can't throw in. Stop. Uh, every single time I hear those little children sing, what happens <laughs> if the engine stops when you all freeze and die? Like it's a happy camp song. It gets yeah. me every time. I just giggle. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I know exactly what you mean. I don't think it bothered me as much as it did you, but I, I, it is one of those moments where you're like, you're just like, uh, uh, mm. <laughs> Plus, as we pointed out in the Sins video, he fucking wastes the world's last cigarette. Uh, yes. like it's yeah. been gifted to him by this guy oh, the kindness of his heart he likes that shit and then just lets it burn while he tells the story like, yeah yeah what the hell man that's rude all right barrett you're up there's been a lot of talk about mansplaining recently in the, in the media <laughs> mm, and mm. one of the most like jarring bits of mansplaining that i've seen recently was in gravity Okay. So gravity being, you know, generally thought of as kind of an icon of feminism, you know, Sandra Bullock riding the ship literally and getting back to the earth. But it takes her almost dying and a ghost cameo from George Clooney. Yeah. <laughs> really like put her put her in the right. Oh spot. my god, yeah. I that scene kills me. It's just like, oh hey, I'm gonna knock on the door. Oh, what's he doing out there? All right. Yeah. Uh, I'm good. Yeah, open it up and everything. And he comes in and basically, uh, you know, sets her straight and just says, all right, this is what you need to do. All right, see ya. Yeah. <laughs> it takes you out of otherwise, like, a, almost to me, like a perfect movie. You're absolutely um, right about that. The, 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 the the problem with that is is that it sound it it makes it you know like once you find out oh okay he was just ghost George Clooney or whatever uh, it's like oh well she figured that out on her own but not really it's it she needs <laughs> no, she's she, hypoxic yeah exactly and uh and and it's just another excuse to throw Clooney back into the movie after he dies or whatever right. and you know uh, sorry spoilers but um but. Uh, it's just another excuse because you know I think I think it's one of those desperate moves where you're like, well, Clooney's gone. What are we going to do? Is it going to be Sandra Bullock this whole time? Okay, we got exactly. Clooney back. You know exactly. So. Yeah, it's a cheat. It's a cheat to me. Like you know, all right, uh, you've been following these rules this entire time. These very complex rules, uh, generally, except for whatever Neil deGrasse Tyson points out. But uh, yeah, I mean, and and then this kind of magical entity. Uh, uh, 
Clooney ex machina. Yeah. <laughs> it really is. It's, it's it might as, as well have been your daughter machina. saying, Mommy, come home. Oh, yeah. All right. So, uh, man, there's so many. I don't think we're ever going to get around to all of them, but. I don't know. Um, okay. I, here's a simple one. In the movie Rounders, now, I don't know if if people consider this like a great movie. Like, I think people who play poker think it's a great movie, and then probably everybody else is like, this piece of shit. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, but, uh, but anyway, I think Rounders is a great movie. So, um, there's a scene, and I actually I have have seen explanations, uh, heard explanations later. But there's a scene. Matt Damon has broken up with Gretchen Maul in the movie. You know, Gretchen Maul actually has left the apartment, take, taken everything, um, and uh, and then so he's in a little bit of a depression moment, and he's sitting there watching uh, 1987 World Series of Poker and all this other stuff. Fonka Jansen shows up. Uh, and, and watches it, watches the end of it with him and everything. And like, then Damon's like, all right, well, I gotta go. And, and Fonka Jansen's like, I could stay. And she's like, clearly like, let's, let's do this. <laughs> and, and, and Damon inexplicably, this is Fonka Jansen, like six foot, <laughs> like, uh, goddess, uh, it, one of the hottest women ever. And he's like, no, 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 I have to, you know, I have to, you know, and he leaves, he leaves her there. Like I'm sitting there like, I can't believe this. This is the most unbelievable thing. Now I did listen to the commentary on this and the the commentary, they actually address this. Uh, uh, Brian Koppelman, who is uh, behind, uh, he's one of the people behind billions that's going on right now. Um, You know, he wrote rounders and like they said that when they wrote the character, that Fomka Jansen played, it it wasn't supposed to be like this drop dead gorgeous woman. It was supposed to be someone who's you know a little bit of a plain Jane or whatever, maybe a little bit on the other side of it. But uh, still, no one on the set realized it was Fomka Jansen once this scene started, and they let it happen anyway. <laughs> and- and I, I feel like if you just didn't want to have a sex scene between the two of them or at least imply it or whatever, you should have just cut that seat and cut that part out and just said, you know, and she she could have just been sitting on the couch going, well, I'll see you later, you know, and that would have been it. And we would have been fine. And they, but, they treat that Johnny Chan video like it's foreplay, though. Oh, you they know, do. They just, oh, they like, do. Yeah. Four times. Yeah. Look what he does. Job. Yeah, hey, look at the control. It's amazing. <laughs> control. <Yeah. laughs> All right, should we do another round? Yeah. Uh, right. Do we want to keep on doing bad with good, or do we want to do? We want to start up. Let's do one more round of bad moments and good movies, and then switch. Okay, cool. All right, and um, I'm going to cheat by doing two. Um, <clears throat> just because I feel like if we don't mention that shot of the rat at the end of The Departed, that people will give us crap for not mentioning yeah. it. Because it's yeah. it's just one of the worst moments in a good movie I've ever seen. And I tune out at every point when that start that pan up starts. Well, luckily, <laughs> like, the movie is over at that point. But yeah. like, but like, you're right. It It's one of those what were they thinking moments like, Oh yeah. You know, it'd be great. Is a rat walking or back in the, this you know, is in one the of the greatest directors of our time. And yeah. you might as well have thrown a hammer at the screen. Right. Right. 
Anyway, that's. I just wanted to make sure we mentioned that for credibility's sake. My, my only theory on this is that maybe Mark Wahlberg put it in there and like you know, symbol symbolism, you know, and it's like and, and you know that's his character, you know, to put a rat in somebody's apartment after he kills him. But that's the only thing that I can think of that would How's make that. Doing? <laughs> yeah. All right. So my final for now, unless we do this again down the road, bad moment, a good movie is uh, the Sting. Um, mm. Mm, this is a movie a great I, one. I love. I, I saw it at a very young age and I've seen many times in my life. Um, it's one of my favorite movies. But it th- this part that sticks in my craw is that Robert Redford's character is sort of being hunted the whole movie. You see these, this guy with gloves and a gun. There's basically some kind of assassin that's hunting him or chasing him. And they the movie just can't help itself from doing one more uh, rug out from under you, you know, reveal. There's already 12 of them in this movie. They didn't need this one, but it turns out the assassin isn't an assassin. He's a protector. And the assassin is actually the waitress that Robert Redford's been banging for the last couple of nights. <laughs> and it's such a stupid thing for a character that's supposed to be so smart and street savvy to, to fall for. Um, and it just always stands out to me as completely unnecessary in a movie that would be otherwise perfect. I don't know how you guys feel about that, but it really bothers me. Well, and I've seen the sting a couple of times. It's never been anything that I really pondered. So I don't have much more to add to that, but I can see how that would, you know, be bothersome because yeah, you would think that a guy like that would be wise to those type of things. Uh, uh, Redford is always playing characters like that, by the well, way. He's like, you know, he should be wiser to the, to the woman that comes into his life or whatever. He sleeps with her the night before, but she doesn't try to kill him until she accidentally bumps into him in an alley the next day. Like, yeah. why didn't you kill him in his sleep? That was really dumb. <laughs> <laughs> hey, mate. Hey, she, maybe she just wanted to get laid, man. She just wanted to get laid. Yeah, and, yeah let's get and, that out of the way. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, then, then we can go ahead with the killing. I have to get, I have to get my rocks off before I, before I kill somebody. <laughs> All right, Barry, give us your last one. Your rocks off? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I got to watch uh, The Force Awakens again when it came out on Blu-ray this right. week. You haven't gotten to the, the Sin video yet, so I don't want to get too deep into it. But there's a I'm sure a whatever you're there. about to say is something that I brought up. Well, yeah. I mean, it just is really annoying to me. So the, we've already talked about this in the second podcast, but Han Solo dies in this movie. Mm-hmm. And he dies just – it takes forever for him to die. Uh, he's got to walk all the fucking way out there and then he's got to, yeah. like, you know, have a conversation. And meanwhile, everybody is standing around like a bunch of fucking dick asses. Right. Just, like, <laughs> looking at looking at this conversation. <laughs> yeah. And doing nothing before or after. Uh, all Chewbacca does is shoot him once. He's still standing right there. Kylo Ren is still standing right there. Yeah. Injured. And then Chewbacca just turns away. He's like, "All right, I well, must have got him." And and that's uh, I mean, I, I recently went through this uh, for for uh, sin writing purposes or whatever. Um, and uh, there's a, that moment now. Now the thing is, the thing that the movie does, and this still doesn't make sense though. The thing the movie does is suggest that after he shoots him, the stormtroopers are like, "Oh, Chewbacca, better start shooting him." But the thing is. Chewbacca twice growls and screams or whatever when Han Solo, like, like you just now figured out he's up there? He's, he's <laughs> yelling. What happened? Yeah. He's been staring at him the whole time. Right. And he yeah, gets in their positions and can and look at this entire theater. Yeah. And if you're Chewbacca, don't you want to, don't you want to 
shoot that guy before you even start like messing around with stormtroopers who aren't going to hit you anyway. You've dealt with stormtroopers a million times. They're not going to hit <laughs> you. Stand still. You can just stand still. So, so yeah, that you're right. It, that whole thing is set up, you know, where it's like, you're right. The, the long walk down the, the yeah. whatchamacallit thing or whatever. And, and it's, just, uh, it's a death bridge. Let's just call it what it is. Yeah. Death bridge. Yeah. <laughs> you you only like build this. that thing so someone can die. Right. Right. It's, it's so impractical. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, I, yeah, I didn't like that at all. All right, Chris, give us your last one. Okay. Uh, I'm going to go with Fargo. And the Mike Yanagita scene. <laughs> oh, great one. Um, now this is another one that I've, I've looked into over the years and I've, I've heard the explanation and it's not good enough. Um, <laughs> the, uh, okay. So Mike Yanagita is this sort of like, uh, you know, stupid plot thread. It's not really a plot thread, actually. It's just he call he found he he uh sees Marge on TV and he remembers her from high school and he calls her up in the middle of the night and then they they decide, well, let's go get some some lunch and catch up and everything. So there's this whole scene where Mike Anagita is they're at this restaurant and they just sitting there talking and then you find out he's a bit of a creepy dude. Um, he, uh, he, he, they're sitting there talking and having fun. And then he gets up and he sits right next to her and, 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 you know, she's like, well, maybe you should sit on the other side. I'd prefer that, you know? And, uh, and he's like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever. And, um, and, uh, and so it's just this whole like creepy scene that they throw in there for, for a few laughs and then, then he's gone. But, uh, but then she finds out through a friend that all the stuff that he said at that lunch wasn't true at all. Um, and, and he's like, well, and she's like, well, you never know. Apparently, and this is what I've, I've read over the years is that, you know, this scene is so that she realizes that the William H. Macy character is not what he seems. So it makes her go back to the car, <laughs> sale, car dealership and uh and and ask him some more questions but for me i feel like just good old-fashioned police work uh (laughs) would have sufficed like sitting there and you're going you know what the that missing car is really strange to me let's go back to that instead it's like oh i need to have this stalker from my past and we have to have a whole scene making fun of him Hey, consider this. They might have, they could have gone with a dead George Clooney there, and they they chose not to. (laughs) They could have. They could have. If only he was, like, not ER famous at the time. (laughs) Like, you know, they could have put him in there. Um, They just needed something to have a realization. Yeah, it's so uncomfortable, though. You know, that scene is just gross. Like, and if there's no purpose, it's just, you know, awkward. It's, yeah, it's out of left field. It just doesn't belong in the movie. Um, And even if you do have an explanation such as that it's just like well you know why can't you why can't she just have some intuition and 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 think you know that that missing car is really the thing i need to look at here and <laughs> and and just go but uh yeah that's that's one that's a, that's another one all right i'm just envisioning george clooney in a spacesuit sitting at the other side of the table with <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> i wish i could photoshop launching is like, launching is landing <laughs> <laughs> all right so let's transition good moments right. in bad movies um, yes now i have a lot of what I think would be populist responses to this on my list, but I'm going to at least start out with what I think are the most Jeremy responses to this question. Um, and the first one 
is uh, the movie My Fellow Americans, which mm-hmm. is, you should never watch this movie. There's no reason to watch this movie. But it was back <laughs> when they would make any movie Jack Lemmon wanted to make. Um, right. And so it's him and it's uh, James Garner and they're both former presidents. And they're somehow wrapped up in this campaign for the current presidency. And there's a mystery and yada yada it's not good at all but john hurd is in it uh it's the yeah. dad from um <clears throat> home alone right and he's great and he's um really stupid and at the end he says this line he's trying to reveal that he's smarter than everybody thinks and he goes everyone thinks i'm an idiot but nobody knows it was all just a big facade." and <laughs> what, i laughed for probably 10 minutes when that happened because <laughs> it's just such a stupid guy it's not i mean it's not even that great of a line but his delivery is so wonderful because he truly believes he's smarter than you think he is and then he says that <laughs> And I just, I laughed out loud when it happened. And I love that joke. (laughs) All right, Barrett. All right. So we're doing good moments in bad movies. That's correct. Right. So we all determined that Batman versus Superman is bad. And I don't want to pile on it. In fact, I want to give it a little bit of love because there is one funny moment in there. uh, Really the only thing that seems like organic and natural in the entire movie. And it's after Batman saves Martha, Superman's mom. Uh, from Mr. Firethrower Man. Mm-hmm. And there's this moment where he's on top of her, shielding her with his cape. And he said, don't worry, I'm with your friend uh, or with your son. I'm his friend. She said, I figured, you know, cape. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the really, and our friend Jonathan actually texted me the exact same thing as I was texting it to him. Uh, that was the only really like light moment of the movie that just, just like, ah, oh, that's, that's kind of nice. You know, yeah. so there, there was, you know, a few seconds of, frivolity in that uh, flaming turd <laughs> flaming turd uh yeah that that was fun and, and yeah could have used a lot more of that and uh and uh yeah what else is there to say <laughs> all right Chris, um, okay guys have you ever seen southland tales yes but yeah. i vowed never to remember it yeah um that is a fucked up movie yes it is um uh we we had a we had a question from somebody who was asking you know the directors that we thought would be something or whatever and richard kelly after he did donnie darko yeah. uh was was that guy was like oh he's a very interesting filmmaker and then he goes off and he does southland tales <laughs> and he and then he does the box and the box isn't very good either. Um, but uh, Soundland Tales is so batshit crazy that there are moments in that movie that are just memorable. And uh, one of them, I'm going to I'm going to name both of them from this movie. But one of them is Justin Timberlake doing a uh, lip sync of the killers, all these things that I've done. Yes. And uh, it's done in this sort of musical way because you have all these women in like sexy nurse outfits and like white blonde wigs or whatever dancing around him and stuff. And uh, but it, it's just the way he, he his sort of his intensity as he faces the camera and sings that song breaks the fourth wall, basically. Um, and everything is something that puts you in a sort of a dreamlike state uh, when you watch it. And uh, and I actually 
I saw this movie in theaters, um, I actually was at a point going, this might turn around after that scene. <laughs> and it never does. It's so, it's so bad. Um, but, uh, but, but that was one of those moments where I was like, yeah, yeah, okay. I get, I, yeah, this is something I can get into. It doesn't make any sense, but I love it. He's and, actually on drugs in that scene, right? Uh, what, like his character? Yeah, his character. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think so. Yeah, I think so. Uh, because they're selling some sort of like red liquid something in there or whatever. Or whatever. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but uh, there's another one in there. There's another scene. And I think it is meant to be this funny, but it's so bizarre. And even if it isn't, even if it's unintentionally funny, it's one of the best moments in the movie, though. Uh, Bai Ling uh, shows up. To, I mean, they're at a party with, and Dwayne Johnson is is in there. Dwayne Johnson goes up to to Biling, and Biling says something like, two identical souls walking the face of the earth, coexisting in the same dimension of chaos. What will happen if they shake hands?" And and Dwayne Johnson is like, "The fourth dimension would collapse upon itself." You stupid bitch. And he pulls her in and kisses her. And, 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 and that was something I was sitting there just like not enjoying this movie at all. And then that scene comes up and I was just like, where did that come from? <laughs> and so, yeah, Southland Tales has some just moments of just this craziness. This is a dangerous topic, man, because I'm going to I'm going to be tempted to watch some of these and we really probably shouldn't be encouraging people to watch most of these movies in this list. Yeah, but we we will inadvertently do that. You I mean, a lot of these things is that, you know, like I'm curious, is it really as bad as they say? I don't know. Southland Tales has a cult following, you know. Yeah, there's people does. who love it, but um, those moments let there are just, those are the ones that make me go, okay, that movie's not total garbage. There's some, there's some moments that are, that I love about it, but it's not good. Well, uh, I'm going to go with a movie that is total garbage that I would also encourage you to watch. Um, and it's one of my favorite movies of all time. And that's Demolition Man. Yeah. Ooh. And I could easily find 50 moments from this movie for this discussion because <laughs> I adore this movie and uh, it's not good. But uh, the one that I wanted to pick to talk about is Edgar Friendly's rant. And this is when <clears throat> John Spartan has gone underground uh, to look for Simon Phoenix and he's got Sandra Bullock and uh, Ben Bratt with him. And there's this whole society of people living underground that they have known as vandals, um, because they vandalize Taco Bell and all this other stuff and steal food. But uh, it turns out they just don't want to live under the authoritarian rule of the you know, leader of this perfect society above. And if you want to be free, you have to live underground. And Dennis Leary is sort of the de facto leader of these people. And it's, it's at the height of his Dennis Learyness. Like, do you remember those commercials he used to do on MTV where he would just, Oh yeah. For like a yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. this is basically the screenwriter said, I'm going to leave this spot open for you and you just do your thing. And <laughs> John Spartan's like, this is why everybody's down here. And Edgar Friendly just goes off on this. I, I don't remember the whole thing. I used to be able to quote it, but it's the, it's the speech where he's like, I want high cholesterol. I want to eat bacon and butter and buckets of cheese. <laughs> um, and it's, it's the most Dennis Leary thing ever. And I love it. Uh, it's like the perfect casting for that character in that moment. Uh, just perfect amount of over the top. Anyway, I, I just love that moment. 
And I remember those commercials. Most of them, I think they all had that tagline where I think you hear me knocking and I think I'm coming in, you know, that type isn't okay. That, isn't the, okay. And all that. And Dennis Leary was basically hired to do that in every movie back in the early nineties. Uh, judgment night is another movie. Uh, I don't know yeah. if any of you guys saw that. Uh, I Dennis love judgment night. Terrific judgment night's another. Yes. Yeah. A lot of like, uh, rap and rock duos. Um, and Emilio Estevez, right? Yep. Uh, Cuba Gooding Jr.'s in it. (laughs) Um, but, uh, but like, uh, that's just one of those movies that it's just, it's, it's a perfect B movie. And Dennis Leary's the bad guy in it. And he's, you know, he's Dennis Leary. Uh, so I I love truck commercials. Yeah. Now he's doing truck commercials. Well, Um, he also, I mean, that show about firemen that I never watched got him a lot of acclaim as an actor. Um, yeah. Rescue me. Yeah. I never watched it, but I think he he grew a lot out of that persona. But man, he made the most of it. Uh, Bear? I've given a lot of thought about this movie, and I th- it is bad. And you can argue with me, but it's bad. Ghostbusters 2. Oh, mm, yeah. Yeah. I, I don't like it. It's not good. It's a bad movie, but there's so much to like in there. And basically anything Peter McNichol's character, uh, Janos, says is, is kind of gold, gold to me. And uh, there's a few of those, but uh, he's at one point he's already possessed by Vigo, uh, the the character in the painting and everything. And he goes up to Dana and he's like trying to convince her to come along with her. And eventually he's like, and you will be the mother of the ruler of the world. Doesn't that sound nice? <laughs> <laughs> and he's, he's got this wacky possessed demeanor. And, and I love that moment. And uh, he's just completely insane at that point and afterwards cheating <laughs> because I, I, I could give a lot of uh, moments from this uh but after he gets you know slimed and, and comes to his senses and everything he walks around and he's like why am i dripping with goo <laughs> <laughs> you did a pretty good impression of him <laughs> and they start hugging and everything yeah so yeah. i, I love that's one of the most rewatchable movies that is not good. I don't. I don't like it overall. The Statue of Liberty thing is ridiculous. But I'll, I'll watch everything that uh, Bill Murray does at the beginning. The world of psychic. The world of the psychic. Yeah. He, he signs off, but he's like, next week, hairless cats. Weird. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I love that stuff. Um, okay, I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna go with Escape from L.A. Um, wow. The Okay, so Escape from New York is a is a perfect B movie. Great John Carpenter movie. Um, Escape from L.A. I don't know what the impetus was to make a sequel for this in the '90s. Um, talk about you know that's another one where you the aging of film, the way films are made. That's really, I mean, that's really a stark contrast when you see B movies doing it. Yeah. Um, but Escape from L.A. is is just awful. And it's obviously just sort of a, you know, everybody got got there for the paycheck and everything. And that's fine. There is one scene in there. And I don't remember the circumstances, but they put Snake, Kurt Russell's character, into a basketball. Uh, like they put him on a basketball court and uh, they he has to shoot. He has to get five baskets before the time runs out or something like that. He has to go end to end. So he he has to score one basket and then go all the way to the other end of the court and score another one and then so on and so forth in like 30 seconds or something. And um, so like 
first off, it's batshit insane because you would never think of Snake as anybody who's maybe even seen a basketball before. <laughs> he's probably never dribbled one before, but he's he's in this task now where he has to do this. So, okay, so he goes in there, he makes a couple layups, and then, but time is running out, so he starts to have to, you know, he starts to have to uh, move it up a little bit. On the fourth one, he throws a midcourt shot that goes straight down into the goal, and then he's like, and then he's got like five seconds left or whatever, and so like he He's at the full end of the court and just hauls this one-armed 80-foot shot all the way and hits it. And it's just, I was dying laughing when I saw this. It just, I mean, it's obviously, obviously never was supposed to be something realistic or anything. It was just supposed to make you laugh, and it did. It succeeded. Uh, Steve Buscemi's in that movie, right? Yes, he is. He's uh, even in that scene. I saw that in the theater. I regretted it. I did too. All right. Well, let's go one more round so we keep them even from the last discussion. All right. Everybody's going to do one more good moment in a bad movie. And uh, okay. this is a tough call for me. Again, I have five or six that we've made sins about in videos that I'm going to go ahead and skip because at least somewhere publicly we've acknowledged that I like that moment or you do. So right. I'm going to go. I'm going to go with Iron Man 3. Which mm-hmm. is terrible. I know that there's some <laughs> yep. conglomerate of people who probably love it just because they no need it. to be a pussy about it. Well, yeah, seriously. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, the moment when Tony's captured and his suit is arriving like one piece at a time, and he's basically trying to escape, fight, and get the rest of his suit to him. I thought it was really fun. And it was the one moment in that movie where I, where I found myself smiling at sort of the way they showed him having to be inventive with first only just one hand pusher thing. And now he has to basically fling himself around the room waiting for the rest of the suit. Um, I really enjoyed that scene and I hated that movie. Yeah. And, and what's, uh, what's so disappointing about Iron Man three is that Shane black and, right. and you, and that is something uh, uh, one of the early tells that it doesn't matter who you put in uh, uh, to these things. It's really Marvel is the director of the movie. Right. Um, because if Shane Black made that movie by himself, I bet we would have had a way more fun uh, uh, trip oh, on yeah. that one. Oh, yeah. I agree. Barrett? Let me. I'm, I'm trying to figure out which one I want to because it's two big movies. Uh, you want a Star Wars or you want a Matrix? Oh, do the Matrix. Yeah. Okay, so this Wait, is Matrix from the is Matrix. A good movie. Uh, no, this is from the Matrix Reloaded. Okay, good. <laughs> okay, so what I like about there's a lot of there's a decent amount to like in the Matrix Reloaded, but it's overall a terrible movie from really the start to the finish. But what I do like is the introduction of the Keymaker mm-hmm. and the fact that and you know it goes into this broader philosophy of. You can't really know somebody until you fight them. And that's probably just a bunch of bullshit. But the fight between Canoe and the Keymaker is really intriguing, actually. It's unlike really any other fight that you see in the whole series. You know, <laughs> I like how you just went on and just called him Canoe and just yeah, like, well, that's, that's, just a, that's, <laughs> that's what he is. That's what he is, is Canoe. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, no, that's a, that's a very, very good moment in a pretty bad movie overall and a completely nonsensical movie. But that was kind well, of a moment of clarity where you get your head up. Well, and I, I wonder, I think everybody who thinks about film in a level headed fair way has at least one movie 
where they liked it more than they should have and over time realized they were just fanboying. And this was that movie for me because I was such a fan of The Matrix. I saw Matrix Reloaded. I walked out. I went home. Like, that was freaking awesome. And it was like three in the morning. And then the next day is when I find out everybody hated it. And I was like, what? You're crazy. This is awesome. And then, of course, the more I see it and the more distance I get from that first viewing and my own fanboyness, the more I can agree it's a train wreck, man. I don't disagree. I was the exact same way when I watched it. Um, when I, it, I was in that denial watch. Yeah. Um, when you're watching it, and you're like, oh, that's pretty cool. Hey, that's pretty cool right there. Uh, uh, oh, that's cool. And then, and then afterwards you're like, well, yeah, I guess I liked it. And then, and then later you're like, oh yeah, there's, this is not good. Not good. Yeah, that was, I, I totally agree with you though. I think the introduction of the key maker is, uh, is really good. And there are several bright spots in the film. Um, but that's one of the good ones. Yeah. All right, Chris. A, okay. Um, all right. I'm going to go with Woody Allen here. Um, there are two movies. I'm gonna. Uh, Woody Allen. It doesn't really matter. Like how if he if he's coming out with a bad movie, he always has like at least one good line <laughs> in it. Um, yeah. And and so like uh, I I could actually come up with with three, but like um, in Hollywood ending, Hollywood ending's not a very. It's I mean it's one of his worst. I think. Although today I looked at it on the IMDb and it had like a six point seven or something like that, huh. um, which means uh, there's obviously people who love it. I remember watching it and going, "Man, this movie's terrible. This movie's terrible." And then there's one line at the end. So the movie is about uh, Woody Allen is a director. It's a real stretch for him as an actor, <laughs> um, but he is he is uh, he he I think he's blind and he I, I, I maybe I think that's it. I think it's, he's blind. He, so he's he's a director and he's and, he's, and so a lot of the things are getting shot out of focus and he doesn't know, you know, what's going on on his set and everything. And so. Uh, the the movie uh, when it gets made is like just a whole bunch of stuff out of focus and 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 of course nobody likes it and uh, so the movie comes out in America it's a huge bomb and everything but then sort at the very end somebody gives him a newspaper and says the French love your movie and they're like he's like really and he looks at the newspaper and he's like he's like oh wow he's like thank God the French exist. <laughs> it's just one of my favorite lines ever uh just you know the, the, it's a very woody allen thing to say too i'm yeah. sure he said that actually many times oh yeah i mean there's a couple of, like in small time uh, small time crooks which is an, another movie i don't really like although i, I know that's an, one that some people do but uh small time crooks is after they get rich and everything and they're and they're obviously they're just they're all dunces and and terrible people and everything and they're but they're living high society for the first time woody allen and this is in the trailer too where he goes you know what i've always wanted to do i've always wanted to learn how to spell connecticut <laughs> 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 oh it's so funny yeah and and uh the the movie scoop is the other one that i think of uh you know uh, not very good that that came out the same year there was three magic movies that came out one year and scoop is the forgotten one but the prestige the illusionist and scoop all came out in the same year and there's a part where he says something like i uh, he's like i used to i used to be uh was he says I used to be a Marxist, but now I'm a narcissist or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's a yeah. classic Woody Allen thing to say. Awesome. So should we move into questions? I think we should. All yeah, right, let's do it. Question, question. I got something to say. I want the truth. 
truth. I'm listening. Groovy. So the first one, I'm going to, I'm going to read it as it was written so that, that will provide leeway for us in answering um, how we choose. But the, the asker says, what is everyone's favorite musical movies? Okay. Um, I'm pretty sure he means musicals, which is how I'm going to go. But if you want to do movies that are about music, like something like almost famous, I'm not going to argue with you. Um, but I have two answers for my favorite musical. The first is old school, and that's White Christmas. Um, my mother mm-hmm. and her sister adored this movie. And so I have seen it every year of my life uh, multiple times. It is a family tradition. And I don't think you can do that and not fall in love with the movie. <laughs> uh, it's a beautiful movie. That's a terrific movie from just with the music and just on its own. It's oh, a, yeah. And it's really It's good. not bad. I, I, I think it's good. I'm just saying a lot of people might say, what about Singing in the Rain, which I also love. But my, my very favorite musical of, of mm. all time periods is the Muppet Christmas Carol. Mm, yeah. Um, because it's short, it's funny, and every single song is singable and has a great hook. It's some of the best Muppet songs collected in one single movie of all of the Muppet movies. And uh, that has become an annual watch for me. Oh, so that's my answer. Oh, that's that's inspiring. I'm going to start watching The Muppet Christmas Carol every, every year. <laughs> it's so. awesome. Barrett? It's in the singing of a street corner choir. I interpreted this as musicals, too, and it's Grease. Mm. Grease is the mm. musical of all time. Uh, I have a lot of musicals that I actually like, but nothing really approaches the the scope and the social issues and the performances and the uh, iconography of Greece. And I, I kind of tried to challenge myself on this, but it's Greece. That's that's uh, a terrific <laughs> musical. Yeah. And of course, it got popular, more popular because of the live performance uh, this year. But it's timeless. When you go back and you watch it at any time uh, over the last 30, 40 years, it's, it, it holds up extremely, extremely well. Um, all right. So mine, uh, my number one, and I, I don't know if this is polarizing or not, but Moulin Rouge is probably oh. my, my favorite. I know that it's generally well-received, but there are a lot of people who absolutely hate it. Like um, me. Yeah, yeah. Um, I just think it's uh, it's one of those that's just visually stunning, and uh, and like I like the arrangements they do with the songs, uh, the existing classic songs in there. It, the movie it can be too much, so when people tell me they don't like it, it's not like oh come on man, you gotta love this movie. But for me, I, I fell in love with Moulin Rouge um, uh, when I watched it. That's uh, well, that's one of those weird movies that I view in halves. Like the first right. half, I love, and then the second half, I can just do without most of that. And yeah, um, but I totally get what you're saying, like visually, and I think it was, I think it was pretty unique for its time in the way that it blended those current existing hit songs into you know the arrangements that you're talking about. Um, I yeah. had never seen that kind of thing before in a musical, to my knowledge. They would go and change from song to song to song and make it all into one thing. Yep. Um, yeah, the is, is really terrific in that movie. Um, I didn't like really the way the rest of the way it was executed. Obviously, you're right. Visually, it's beautiful, but the the tango scene was really, really impactful. Actually, yeah. There's another one that I that I I think of whenever I hear musicals, and it and it's not one that you would traditionally put into the genre, but um, but Nashville is another one that 
is basically a musical, but the pro, you know, the, the reason why nobody ever would call it that is because it's not like somebody's, they're not sitting there having a conversation and then break out in a song. It's just, there's a bunch of songs. There's a bunch of musical yeah. numbers in it. And, um, I, and I, and the, there was a, I think the one song I'm easy, the, uh, the Keith Carradine, uh, <laughs> song got nominated. Yeah. Yeah. It was performed at the exit in and, uh, and it's a really good song too. Um, and it, and it goes really well with the, the story that's going on in there. Cause he's, he's the guy in the movie that's banging all these chicks and like, they're all at the exit in that night listening to him sing that song. And they all think it's about her. They all think it's about them, uh, when they, when they hear it. Um, but, uh, you know, it's got a lot of like, you know, old country tunes in it, but there are a lot of good ones in there too. <laughs> it's the old Keith Carradine, Lily Tomlin, uh, <laughs> Shelley Duvall, Shelley Love Duvall. Triangle. Yeah, <laughs> yeah classic. <laughs> I've heard it once. I've heard it a million times. <laughs> yeah. Well, and Lily Tomlin's married to Warren Beatty in the movie, too. It's, it's one of those, like, yeah, okay, I can. Ned Beatty. Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh right. yeah, Ned Beatty. Sorry, Ned Beatty. I'm Warren Beatty. <laughs> the fuck? Uh, those Beatties all look alike. Yeah, they do. Yeah. Especially those two. All right. Another question. Um, somebody wants us to talk about um, the most disturbing scenes we've seen in movies. Um, and I feel like I could answer this with a, with a bunch of different things. But the one that jumps out at me immediately is in American History X. When oh, he puts that guy's I know jaw. exactly where you're going on this. Yeah, he puts this guy's jaw around a concrete curb yeah. and then, you know, essentially jumps up in the air and slams down on the guy's face. Uh, or back of the back of his head with his foot breaking the guy's face and jaw and it's 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 so such a shocking unnecessarily violent act like if you want to beat the guy up go ahead but this is this is just criminal criminally insane behavior here that yeah and, uh, it really i can't i can't even watch that scene even talking about it right now i'm getting a little bit of the shivers it really well, disturbed me the way they do it too like it, it is that you see the guy and you see his teeth touching the curb right and and they don't actually show it they cut away but it's almost worse it's kind of like how they do with fight club when uh when brad pitt's getting his beating yeah in that movie where you're just seeing reactions and people going oh oh you know like that it's it's like that um yeah that's brutal barrett you got one? Oh, I, i'm just thinking about hearing the teeth all right we got to stop talking about yeah, that. yeah let's move on you mentioned snowpiercer earlier there's a scene in snowpiercer that i cannot watch and it was featured in the end of Saving Private Ryan too. It's where somebody plunges a knife into somebody's chest oh, yeah. while they're watching. Like uh, Adam yeah. Goldman's character at the end of Saving Private Ryan. It happened to Gray in at the end of Snowpiercer, which I think was bullshit, by the way. The kid's like, you know, an athletic marvel in this middle aged mutant is just ran anyway, that's a whole other story. Yeah. But that kills me. It's the same I think and I didn't go back and watch it, but I think at the end of The Strangers Oh, yeah. I think there's something kind of like that, too, where they slowly that gets me every time. It's just awful. Yeah. Have you guys ever seen Irreversible? Mm, maybe. Oh, what Doesn't that? ring any bells. It's a French movie. It has Monica Bellucci. Oh, I know it was remade about. in oh. American version, right? I'm not sure if it was remade or not, but I do know that it does the memento type thing where it shows oh, okay. the end of the movie first and then it goes backwards. Um and um and the one scene that always is is something that I'm never going to forget 
is there's a they're at a nightclub. There's a scene where a guy gets his head beat in with a fire extinguisher and you see it on screen. They don't cut away. It's 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 pretty brutal. And the, the, the you know, the head just turns to mush in front of you. And um, it's horrible. There is a weird like you can see subtitles during the uh, during that beating where there's somebody going. There's somebody that says awesome <laughs> in the background. <laughs> oh, <my God. laughs> and uh, it's so uh, it's it is it's just sickening. The guy who directed it uh, did another movie called Enter the Void, which is a uh, uh, if you just want a, a real trippy headache inducing movie, watch Enter the Void. You know, if you need a headache, just go ahead and watch that movie. It's uh, it sort of reminds me of uh, the stuff we went through with Hardcore Henry this weekend. Uh, but uh, that guy's an interesting director. But the, yeah, that's some brutal, brutal stuff. That's the most disturbing thing I've ever seen. All right, awesome. Uh, gross. Let's move on to something. Uh, <laughs> let's do one last question uh, before we wrap it up. And uh, they want to know uh, movies we might have ever walked out of. Uh, <laughs> okay. And uh, I'll start in case I'm springing that on either of you. Uh, I've only ever walked out of two movies um, and both were very near the end. I, I, I don't have any like I know film lovers who are like, oh, never walk out of a movie. I watched the whole thing to the end. That's not me. I just... <laughs> You know, I always like some of the moments we've talked about tonight, you know, the, the good moments in bad movies, even a piece of trash can make you laugh. And so I'm always willing to give it a shot all the way through the end for the most part. But two movies just graded me to the point where I had to leave before they were over. And one of them was actually Batman versus Superman. Oh, <laughs> oh wow. God. Um, so the shot, there's a shot apparently at the end where the painting is upside down. And then there's a shot apparently of dirt moving around Superman's grave. I miss both of those um, because right before that, I turned to my friend and said, that's it for me and got up and uh. walked out because <laughs> I mean, I knew, I knew it was pretty close to the end. I knew I wasn't gonna have to wait very long for him, but that movie had just battered me and bruised me to the point where I, I was, I don't even care. I don't care if there's a credit scene. I'm out. I've paid my time. Yeah, uh, I was actually prepared. wondering about that because there was a point where you said, well, Superman dies, and then you didn't even bring up the point at the very <laughs> end. And I was like, you know there's that part at the end, right? Uh, right. Um, and then the other one um, was a, a little movie most of you probably forgot called Simply Irresistible. Ah, and, yes. Uh, starred Sarah Michelle Gellar and I think the dude from Alias. And... Uh, she's a chef, but there's magic involved. You're but talking yeah. about uh, Michael Vartan or whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> and uh, so this movie's just stupid. It's just it's it's a, aggressively stupid. And there's a crab. And anyway, right before the, <laughs> right before this, a magical crab, and it helps her cooking. And at the <laughs> end, there's some black tie party, and it cuts to a shot of the goddamn crab in a tux. Dead, <laughs> and I, I went. Nope, I'm out. And I, I was with, there with Josh, and Josh and I both stood up and walked out. And we were done. It was only like five minutes from the end, but uh, that's the only two times I've ever left in the middle of a movie. Barrett, oh, do you have wow. any? Yeah, so I got an eight year old, and when you have an eight year old, you see a lot of shitty movies you know? <laughs> over the the eight years that he's been alive. For and sure. one of them was Cars Three, otherwise known as Planes. Oh, oh yeah. And that movie just absolutely grated on me so much that I told my wife and my kid, you guys enjoy. I'm going to leave about 
probably 30 minutes uh, left. So I just went out and played video games in the lobby (laughs) (laughs) and waited for them to come out. And I felt very good about it. (laughs) I think that was the right choice. Yeah. Yeah, I watched it about a dozen times on DVD after that. Of course you did. Of course you did. Um, I have probably done this four or five times for various reasons. um, And mainly as a projectionist at a movie theater. Now, a few of those were not because um, I was hating the movie, although uh, they weren't good movies anyway. Um, uh, a lot of times I would get to the point of just exhaustion and I'd just be like, if there's something wrong with this movie tomorrow, then fix it, you know? <laughs> um, but that was the that was the point of being a projectionist was to watch the movies and make sure they were good for the public the next day and all that. And, and um, but... There was, there is one that I walked out on because it was bad. Uh, and it was the first time I ever did this. I wasn't tired or anything. I just said, fuck this movie. Um, it was Dungeons and Dragons. Oh. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, I watched probably 30 minutes of that movie. Um, and I just said, I can't, I can't take this anymore. And, and I stopped it. Now, this is not a digital print. This is a regular print. And you don't really want to, you know, you don't want to like keep it running overnight and everything. So I just, I basically, what I did was the, the equivalent of rewinding the movie. Um, and just put it back in the, just put it back in the center and, and then just told people, Hey, watch it when it gets to this point and then you're good. Um, and, uh, and, and whatever. But yeah, Dungeons and Dragons, I couldn't, I, I, I know that was, it, it was Thor, Thor Birch and Jeremy Irons and Marlon Wayans were all in that movie. Um, it just, I just, it was an awful, awful experience and I couldn't take it. So that's when uh, I walked out. You're going to get retroactively fired for dereliction of duty. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, there were plenty of others though, that like I would follow, I was falling asleep in them and, and I remember Hidalgo. Do you remember Hidalgo? Oh yeah. The horse the, movie with yeah, Vega. Yeah. Vega Mortensen's in it. And I remember, um, I'm watching it and it's a super long movie. Like, it, well, it, it may be like shorter than I'm, I'm remembering it, but it, it felt like the three hours long. And, uh, I was, I was, and I just noticed at one point I was asleep. I woke up, <laughs> <laughs> I woke up and, and, and I was watching it on a, a certain projector. Like when splices would go through, it, like the film would fall off a roller or whatever. And like, and it was scratching the right side of the screen, not like terribly or anything, not like anything that customers would really notice. But like that was the other part of it was that this movie was awful. And like every time the reel changed, it would like start scratching the print and I'd have to go back upstairs and fix it <laughs> and everything. And it was just awful. I think I ended up not watching the rest of it. I think I think once it got through that last to the last splice. And I didn't, I knew it wasn't going to fall off anymore. I was like, yeah, just fuck it. You know, it's, I'm not going to watch the rest of this. That I, you know what? There is one thing I do want to address on this thing. Um, the one on one question that we've gotten a couple of times and I'll just address it really quick. Um, the, the one about me doing the voices, the voice on the sins videos. Oh, yeah. I've seen, I've seen this question come up a, a couple of times. Um, uh, the reason why Jeremy does it all the time at this point is that at some point you've got to realize what your brand is. 
uh, on a, on a channel. And we were experimenting a lot in the early days. And we thought that there was even a time where we thought we would do something like an everything right with and all that. Right. right. And, um, and when it got to Prometheus, uh, it's like, well, I guess it's my turn to do the voice. So I did it and I could just tell in the comments that people were like, I'm used to Jeremy's voice. Uh, we want to do, we want to hear Jeremy. And, um, and it just became a decision at that point where it's like, okay, let's just do Jeremy because it's, that's the brand. Jeremy's the brand of the, you know, his voice is the, the brand of this. And, um, so I've not done one since. And mainly also, if you look at all the guest voices we've ever gotten on this thing, even the Neil deGrasse Tyson, there's just people who get upset when it's not yeah. Jeremy. Yeah. Um, so you have Neil deGrasse Tyson. They people, people went through the roof on Kevin Smith, which still pisses me off to this day because I thought he did a great job yeah. and, um, and it upsets me uh, a lot. But then, you know, I remember the Matthew Santoro one too, the nobody like that. Yeah. Um, of course the Matthew Santoro one, like I, it was just, it was the, I think the way that was thrown together was what, what hurt us most on that. But, um, but yeah, ultimately you just had to make a decision and say, you know, you're the guy. Like if we had started it off by saying it was back and forth or whatever, I think people would have gotten used to it. But by the time we did Prometheus, we had already done enough yeah. to, um, to just say, you know, all right, let's just make you the voice. Well, and it was a lot of it was circumstantial. Like, just because I think the original intention was always to go every other one and just take turns, but you were traveling a lot. You had some family issues and stuff. And so just logistics caused me to do the first three or four. And then when it came to, okay, Chris is settled. Let's get his narration on this one and start going every other one. Like you said, that the, the audience had sort of already determined the voice was part of the brand. Yeah. And, and, you know, and I can take it, like I can take my licks. People were just like, this is not the same. This sucks. Blah, 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 blah. I mean, it's not, it wasn't because of, that it was i mean because jeremy certainly took his licks when we first did it i you know it's like <laughs> i i hate this voice this voice is terrible now right. i can't live without it right. and um and so it's really just about familiar familiarity and comfort and everything and that's the reason why i don't do it uh i wish i could uh just for just to give him a relief maybe uh, we'll go full circle you know because it's such a maybe the fans today view it as such a, a treasure that they, there's only one chris video that the rarity of it might allow you know, a future sins video to be narrated by Chris. I, I wouldn't have a problem with that. Yeah. Who knows? Um, and you know, I mean, I'm sure that, uh, I'm, we're really sort of paying attention to a minority there. There's probably a lot. I mean, yeah, it's a lot of people when we look at the comments, but probably most people are like, well, that's the sins video for me. I love it. And you know, and they move on. Right. But for some people, it's just like, I can't deal with it, deal with that without my Jeremy fix. Yes. Um, <laughs> but, uh, anyway, that's the reason why that's that. And I just felt like we should answer that question since we've gotten it a couple of times. That is the Sincast for this week. Uh, signing off with Chris Agnes and Jeremy Scott and Barrett Share. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Comment on our episodes on our SoundCloud page. Check us out on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and Reddit. And be sure to visit cinemasins.com. My drippings with goo. Why do you like them so much? I was all about Hardcore Henry. Now I watched it and I'm like, oh, fuck me. <laughs> <laughs>
Vince and everybody ended up like just getting him a bunch of whores. To change his mind. <laughs> <laughs> That's like every episode of that show, though, right? Yeah. Vince, Vince and guys end up getting him a bunch of whores. Pretty much. <laughs> Did you see the one girl who said, I decided to watch Election and write it the first really vulgar oh, moment my yeah. mom walked in. <laughs> I'm sure it's that her pussy is so wet. <laughs> That's so wrong. I mean, you're not expecting it at all. Yeah. I remember I, when I uh, was watching Training Day with my wife. I've probably told you this story before, but uh, you know, we were just dating at the time and we were at her dad's house and I didn't really know her dad super well at that point. And he decides to wander in and check out the movie right after Denzel abandons Ethan Hawke with the Mexican guys, and they're like, do you like getting your shit packed in? Huh? Huh? <laughs> <laughs> just like squirming. Like, oh, he's, gonna, he's never going to let her see me again. Man. Dude, you know what? I'm, one of the funniest dad moments I've ever experienced was when I was a kid. And I uh, was a, a friend of mine who, you know, he's just he was the friend who got to see the R-rated movies and stuff. And like, right. and, uh, and so like at I think it, we were on a 13 maybe or something like that. And, uh, and we were about to watch, uh, I think it was blood sport. And, um, and, uh, so we're sitting there watching blood sport and this guy's dad comes in and he goes, John, what are you watching? And he goes, blood sport. And he's like, is there any nudity in it? And he's like, well, <laughs> he's like, well, uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme shows his butt. And he's like, well, okay. And he just walks out. <laughs> <laughs> 